The following is the sermon from Cornerstone United Methodist Church in Naples, Florida from Sunday, February 28th, 2021. The sermon is entitled Discernment and Preaching is Reverend Mike Butler. For more information on Cornerstone United Methodist Church, you can visit cornerstonenaples.org. In this Lenten sermon series, we're laying the found, the, some of the foundation for what we hope will, for each of you, help you see your field of ministry out in the world, help you discover how God is calling you to serve our neighbors here in Southwest Florida and beyond, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever God sends you or to whomever is sent to you. Last week, we started with listening. This morning, I scratched the surface of discernment. And in the following weeks, we cover the ground of testing and experimenting, reflecting and deciding, and all that goes into discerning. How does a person, how does a congregation discern or see God's vision? How do we see the path to which we're called, and how do we follow that path to which we're called? More than a few years ago, beginning, I was beginning a new appointment as an associate pastor in a church in Kokomo, Indiana. I had that same question, what is my path in this congregation? Of course, there was a job description, but I was also looking for my own lane in ministry in this church. Shortly after I arrived, a group of men from the church invited me to go along with them to a United Methodist Men's Conference. One of the speakers at that conference was Danny Morris, who had recently written a book with Charles Olson entitled, Discerning God's Will Together, a Spiritual Practice for the Church. Captivated by what Reverend Morris had to say, I came back from that conference discerning that my lane was to begin a deliberate, discerning prayer ministry in the church. Our meetings happened on Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m. every four to six weeks. And I was amazed that in a congregation that that, uh, worshipped four to 500 people on a Sunday morning, we had over 100 people show up for that first discerning prayer meeting. Of course that's a lie! For the first year, the average attendance on those Saturday mornings was two or three people. Sometimes I was alone on Saturday morning. However slowly the effort began, it did eventually take root, and we began doing things such as prayer walking the surrounding neighborhoods. We sponsored discernment training events for the church leadership committees, of our church, and we began a partnership with a a smaller United Methodist congregation that was about a mile away from us, and so we'd started discerning with them also. And believe it or not, over a a two-and-a-half or three-year period, we practiced seeing what God was seeing in the community, and then God, believe it or not, began to reveal a path of service for us to follow in that community. 
The vision turned out to be a new ministry to serve our neighbors on the northwest side of Kokomo. The vision for ministry was to reach the young families that were moving into some of the older, more affordable homes of the area, and those who were moving into new starter homes that were springing up in a nearby subdivision. We were being called to create a community outreach center with space for after-school programs, high-quality childcare, space for community events. It would even have space for indoor soccer and basketball leagues to meet throughout the winter with, of course, worship on weekend mornings before any games could start and the games of each individual team were going to be scheduled so that they always had, at some point during the season, two or three times in which they were the game immediately after worship, giving them an excuse to, well, let's just go to worship before we play. So land, we thought, was going to be a problem. But somebody in the other church had years before donated land to our partner church for a new church building and a church parsonage that just happened to be right in the neighborhood to which we were called. Problem number one taken care of. I remember standing in the middle of that cornfield with one of the other discernment team members on an early June day. The corn had been planted about a month ago, so it was about knee-high at this point. And there was a warm summer breeze blowing across the field, rustling the corn. It was almost as if it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit that was going to be blowing through the surrounding neighborhoods, touching the lives of all who lived nearby, raising up a caring community in which people could experience the grace of God in their everyday lives. Seeing is important when it comes to discernment. Have you ever caught yourself not paying attention to what you're seeing? Maybe because you're just going through the, uh, the motion of your life like we're on autopilot. Maybe we're just bored with the sameness of each and every day of COVID, seclusion, and we're just not paying attention anymore. Or maybe we're too full of ourselves and how large and in charge we seem to be at a particular moment in our life. Or we're weighed down by our cares and concerns and our anxieties. We're at a place in our lives in which we can't pay attention anymore because it hurts too much as the futility and pain threatens to wash us away. But whatever the reason, our inability to see, it becomes almost impossible to see the other when our boredom or pride or pain cloud our vision. To see the other who suffers, to see the wounds of the other that need binding, to be the, for the other a word of kindness, to reach out with an open hand to help someone out of the ditch into which they've fallen. To be an act of grace that would restore hope 
in someone's life to help someone reclaim the image of God that God creates in us all. In the Chronicles passage, Oded, the Lord's prophet, was the man of sight. And at great risk to himself, he called out the army of Samaria, fresh from their victory over Judah. Oded saw the 200,000 women, boys, and girls that had been seized and were now being marched into Samaria as slaves. Don't you see that the Lord, your God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah and let you defeat them? But look what you've done. Your merciless slaughter of them stinks to high heaven. And now you think you can enslave the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem? What about your own guilt before the Lord? Listen to me. Send back the captives you took from your relatives because the Lord is furious with you. He saw those captives and knew from his immersion in God's word, surely familiar with the passages from Deuteronomy and Leviticus about loving the Lord your God with all your, whole, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself, that he had to say something, that he must put his loyalty to God and God's care for these captives above loyalty to his nation and loyalty to his nation's army. It took some backbone for him to say what he said in the face of an army carrying swords, shields, spears, and clubs. It really could have ended badly for Oded. But he spoke out. And lo and behold, Oded's message resonated with some of the Ephraimite leaders. Notice I didn't say their names again who then stepped up and stepped forward. Don't bring the captives here. Your plan will only add to our sin and guilt before the Lord. We're already guilty enough, and great anger is already directed at Israel. So the warriors released the captives and brought the loot before the officers and the whole assembly. They named some people to help take care of them. They bandaged their wounds. They clothed them, they fed them, they put sandals on their feet. You understand the significance of sandals on your feet. If you're a slave, you don't get sandals for your feet. And those that couldn't walk, they placed on donkeys, and they took them back to where? Loudly. Jericho! Didn't we just hear that in the, new, in the gospel lesson? Jericho. Near where their relatives were, where their relatives who hadn't been killed in the war could come and find them and reclaim them and take them home. And then the army of Samaria returned home, or the people in charge of these folks returned to their homes. The right thing was done because someone was willing to see, discern, and act. So can you see the parallels with the story that Jesus told? It, of course, isn't as dramatic as 200,000 people being captive. 
Instead, we have three people who in their travels come across a man who was robbed, stripped of his clothes, beaten and left for dead by bandits as he traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus then recounts how the three people respond, how they discern and how they act when they see this beaten, left-for-dead man alongside the road. And a shout-out to Bonnie for channeling me. The first to see the wounded man is a pastor on his way to lead worship, not wanting to get involved. And so he passes by on the other side of the road. The second traveler who sees the injured man is double whammied. Not only is he a pastor, he's also the director of adult discipleship. And he hurriedly passes by on the other side of the road, worrying about finding Wi-Fi reception for the Zoom call that he has to lead in a little while. Then a third person comes along, we of the church are used to using the term Samaritan as a descriptor. However, today, in, in place of using Samaritan, I want you to picture a person you associate as being in a group that is the worst of the worst. I want you to think about the most loathsome person that comes to your mind. Somebody that if they walked up to you and you could get away with it, you'd slap them hard. Or do something else to him. You got that person? Then a third person comes along. And it's that person that you hate. He doesn't cross to the other side of the road and hurry by. Instead, he sees and discerns and doesn't act in his own best interest, but acts in the best interest of the bleeding, wounded man on the side of the road. I hate it when my enemies do things like that. David Lose, in his commentary on, on this passage, writes this. Seeing is vital, drawing near imperative, yet the final and meaningful gesture is that the Samaritan actually does something about it. Compassion, in this sense, is sympathy put into action, and these three interrelated moves, seeing, drawing near, and having compassion, offer us an example of what it is to be Christ-like. For God and Jesus saw our vulnerability and need, drew near in the incarnation to embrace us, and in the cross took action by identifying with us to the very end, and then rising again so that death could no longer dominate us, end quote. And so the worst person that you can think of is the one who binds the man's wounds, covers him, puts him on his own donkey, and takes him to safety in Jericho, where he makes provision to care 
for this wounded man beyond just that day. Some of you may be still are wondering about the vision members of two Kokomo congregations had seen and what happened with that vision. I wish I could report to you today that that ministry is still going strong and that that ministry thrives. Alas, after spending all that time seeking a vision from the Lord, I and others walked right on by it. Why? Maybe the fear of attempting to raise millions of dollars to bring the vision to life. Most likely, though, for me at least, the biggest factor was me feeling full of myself and wanting to be large and in charge in which I was senior pastor of a church instead of an associate pastor. I got my wish and was appointed to another church as a senior pastor. And I don't say this to think too highly of myself, but I left Kokomo while I was still a catalyst to that vision God was raising up. And after I left, that vision collapsed. Now, it might have collapsed anyway, even if I'd stayed, but after the collapse of that vision, both churches went into the doldrums. And over the next few years, as times were changing for churches, they never really fully recovered. I think even if I'd stayed for at least two years, that the momentum of that vision would have been enough to carry it forward without me. And, interestingly enough, the church that I was appointed to was not right for me, and I was not right for the church, and it was a miserable, miserable time for both parties. In Kokomo, however, there were a couple of interesting developments. Remember me mentioning that we didn't know how we are going to raise the money to make that vision a reality? Well, around a year later, a faithful member of our congregation died, and you might guess where this is going, but it was a person who was a retired librarian. She had never married, and she was very unostentatious. However, when her estate was settled, the church received $2 million to be used for education and outreach. Unfortunately, there was no solid plan with which to use that money because it had disappeared. Joy, go ahead and bring up the Google map of Kokomo on the screen. This will take a while to load. And for you at home, you want to be looking at the top part of the screen. You see a big empty field at the top part of the screen, and there's a little field near some ball diamonds. And I'll try to point that out here. So this little field, uh, I can't see it with the pointer. If you see the ball diamonds at the top, there's a field right down there. That's the field 
that we had in Kokomo where this ministry was going to take place. So that didn't happen, and I don't know how old this Google image is, but you see that is still a field. But if you look to the north, if the top of the screen is north, and a little bit to the left of that field, about half a mile away by road, there's a building at the top of the screen that three or four years later was built, and it was a Christian church that was built there. God keeps moving forward. And if we're not prepared to move forward also, we get left with a field of corn. We are in a unique day and age during this time of COVID. To say that the ground has shifted underneath our feet is an understatement. Cornerstone has always been a discerning church, and we're going to have to dig in again to discern the way forward in the days, weeks, months, and years to come as we move into a new time of post-COVID era. Joy, will you put the next slide up with the book on it so people can see it? Thank you. So that's the book I was talking about early in the sermon. And so I would like to invite any of you on Saturday, March 13th at 8.30 a.m. I haven't decided if I'm trying to relive my Kokomo experience, but I think it will be valuable for us all. I'm inviting you to join me in the sanctuary where we'll be socially distanced and masked as we dig into discerning God's will together as we move forward into the future. In the meantime, keep listening and keep seeing because God continues to reveal visions to those who pay attention. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. For more information on Cornerstone United Methodist Church, you can visit cornerstonenaples.org or contact the church office through office at cornerstonenaples.org.